Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Acts chapter 8 that I am looking at in my Bible, and I would encourage you to be finding Acts chapter 8 as well. Your comprehension and your retention will be helped tremendously by following along in Acts chapter 8 and in all the other passages of Scripture that we'll be studying from this morning as we spend these next few minutes together in the Word of God. We've got a great number in attendance on this chilly Lord's Day morning. I'm so glad that you made the decision to be here today, especially if you are a guest. We're so thankful that you've come to be with us as we have come to offer unto God our worship. Our goal in worship today is primarily that God will be glorified. But in the process of doing that, we pray as well that we will be edified by our time together. Let's glorify God right now through the reverencing of His Word. I'm reading here in Acts chapter 8... This is the conclusion of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch where the Bible says there in Acts chapter 8 and in verse 36 that as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You know, baptism is a pretty big deal to us, isn't it? It must be. It has to be. Because right behind this big curtain here, right behind this curtain is a big, giant bathtub. And I'll tell you, 17 or 18 years ago, whenever this building was first designed and was first constructed, it was constructed with that big, giant bathtub in mind. It was part of the original designs. We actually have a name for that tub. It's called a baptistry. And what makes this baptistry so unique is not just its size, but the fact that it stays filled up with water all of the time. You know, I've been to many of your homes, and in fact, I've even been in the bathroom of many of your homes, but I don't think I've ever been into anybody's house who keeps their bathtub filled up with water all of the time. You don't do that in your home, do you? But we do it here. We do. And not only does that tub stay filled up round the clock, But it stays heated. Did you know that? We actually have a heater right back there in that back room. You can sometimes even hear it buzzing during the worship service. And it's designed to keep that water warm at all times. Keeps it at a nice, kind of even, comfortable temperature. On top of that, once a month at least, that water gets drained and the tub gets a good good scrubbing and a good cleaning before it's then filled back up again with clean, fresh water. We do lots of things like that in order to accommodate anyone at any time who desires to be baptized. Now, I tell you this, it'd be a whole lot easier if we didn't do any of that stuff. It'd be a whole lot cheaper, wouldn't it? It'd be a lot cheaper if we hadn't built the building with that baptistry built into it. It'd be a whole lot cheaper on the monthly water bill, a lot cheaper on the monthly electric bill. Be a lot less hassle to have to have somebody to clean that every single month, or for hassle for Rick to have to repair that thing when it goes on the on the fritz back there. But you know the fact that we do all of these kinds of things, I think that says something. That says that we consider baptism to be a pretty big deal, and that's not even to mention 
The fact that baptism is a regular part of the vernacular and the teaching that goes on in this place. I would venture a guess that not a single service goes by where the word baptize or baptism isn't uttered. Whether you're here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or on a Wednesday night, chances are you're going to hear someone say something about baptism. Now the question is, why is that? Why do we make such a big deal about baptism? Why do we go to all of this effort? Why do we expend all of this time and energy and even money to emphasize baptism? Is it because, well, that's just kind of our tradition? That's just kind of been the tradition of what we do for the longest time? Is it because that's just kind of, well, that's just our hobby, and so we just kind of ride it around all of the time? You know Compared to a lot of other religious groups in the world, it probably seems like we stress baptism more than most others. In fact, maybe second only to the fact that we use instrumental music in our worship, this is probably the thing that many outsiders know about us. That those folks down there, they are big on baptism. Why is that? Well, this morning... I want to talk about that. And I want to share with you what I believe are powerful scriptural reasons as to why we make a big deal out of baptism. Powerful scriptural reasons as to why everybody ought to make a big deal about baptism. And I want to share those reasons with you this morning for at least a couple of reasons. First of all, if you have been baptized you will be benefited by being reminded of why you did that. Maybe you've done that just in the past year, or maybe for some of us that was decades ago when we did that. And as you are reminded of the many reasons as to why baptism is so important, you will then be equipped to share with others why it is that you believe what you believe. You will be able to answer the questions that others have. It means as well that you will be able to help others to see why they need to be baptized. But then secondly this morning, if you have never been baptized in water like that Ethiopian man did in Acts 8 verse 38, then I want to impress upon you today your need to see why baptism is such a big deal. So much so that it'll be such a big deal to you that when we stand and we sing that invitation song in just a few minutes, you will make your way down this aisle and you will express your desire to be baptized in that pool of water right there this very hour. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to talk about baptism? Let me begin that just by kind of talking about some things Maybe from the negative standpoint. It is true that baptism is a big deal. But it's not necessarily a big deal for the reasons that you might think or that people in the world might think. And so I need to spend just a moment or two right here dispelling some of those wrong ideas. For example, baptism is a big deal, but not because we believe it is the center of the gospel. It's not. Jesus is the center of the gospel. The focus of the gospel is Jesus Christ and His redeeming work at Calvary. That is the way it has always been, and that is the way it must always be. 
In fact, we see that right here in Acts chapter 8. Would you just bump up a verse? Look in verse 35. What did Philip preach about? In Acts 8 verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You see, the gospel is about Jesus. Now, do we make a response to Jesus? Absolutely we do. Do we have to do some things in order to receive the gracious gift of salvation that Jesus offers? Absolutely we do. But our response to Jesus, and yes, that includes baptism, it can never push Jesus out of the spotlight. The center of the gospel, what makes the gospel good news is Jesus. Furthermore, what makes baptism a big deal is not that there is something special about the water. There isn't. The water that we have in this baptistry here, it is not special at all. It's just, it's just regular tap water. It's the same kind of water that you can get out of your spigot whenever you go home this afternoon. In fact, the quality of the water, that's not what makes baptism special in the first place. What makes baptism special is what God does to you when you are in the water. When a person comes in faith and in sincere obedience and says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just like that Ethiopian man said. And when they are then submerged, plunged in and under the water, I tell you, it doesn't matter whether it's water in a baptistry, or whether it's a pool of water out in the middle of the desert, or whether it's water over here in a dirty creek on the other side of the county. It's not about the water. There's nothing special about the water. And then thirdly in this connection, you need to understand that baptism is a big deal But it's not because baptism is just going to magically make your life better in every respect. It won't. Baptism is not some fix-all antidote that ensures you'll never have another bad hair day again. You'll never have financial problems. You'll never have marriage problems. You'll never be tempted to sin ever again. No. No, baptism is not a cure-all for all of life's ills. Bad habits, marriage problems, financial problems, temptations to sin, all of those things, they continue throughout life as we try to serve the Lord. But what is different now after we are baptized is our means to cope with those problems, our means to deal with the various difficulties of life. Those things are different. In fact, they are greatly improved because now now we are a Christian. We are a follower of Jesus Christ with the hope of heaven in our hearts. But I want to say again, baptism will not suddenly make your life a bed of roses. It won't. In fact, it may actually have the exact opposite effect. It may, in some respects, make your life harder. You may have friends who will ridicule you because you are baptized. You may have family who ostracize you because of your decision to be baptized. Regularly, you will find out that you are at odds with the rest of this world. But I'm going to tell you, even despite all of those difficulties, you ought to be baptized anyway. And why? Because baptism is a big deal. Well, somebody says, Josh, well, what does make baptism a big deal? I'm glad that you would ask. First and foremost, baptism is a big deal. 
Because it is rooted in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what makes this so important. Because it is grounded in the single greatest events in all of human history. Look in Romans chapter 6 with me, please. In Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us there that baptism is actually a reenactment of those very events. Did you know that? In Romans chapter 6, the apostle says here that when you are baptized, you are recreating the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Do you follow the progression there? We have, verse 2, died to sin. That is, our relationship to sin has changed. It is different now. When did that happen, verse 3? When we were baptized into His death. And so, verse 4, we are buried. Just like Jesus was buried in the tomb, we're going to be buried in the water. And just as well, verse 4, as Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God, we too, verse 5, have been raised, resurrected by the power of God to walk in new life. I really need to stress this point this morning. I need you to see this today with clarity. Because I want you to understand that baptism is not just some empty ritual. Lots of folks look at it that way, that it's just some kind of exercise, some ceremony that you go through. It's not. It's not something that God just one day kind of, you know, arbitrarily just kind of plucked out of midair. Hey, let's, let's come up with some odd and weird religious rite, and we're going to command people to do this, and let's see how many people we can con into doing it. Oh, I've got it. We'll tell people to get sopping wet in a pool of water. No, that's, that's not how that happened at all. Baptism is founded in the cross. And it applies the power of the cross to you. How powerful and awesome is that? To take what Christ did personally and to appropriate His saving blood in my own life so that I can be set free from sin. In fact, if you continue on, look at verse 7, same chapter. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. You see, it's about doing what Jesus did. And baptism is that moment where we do just that. And the reason that we are baptized, actually the reason that we do anything that Jesus commands, is because we believe Him. Isn't that right? Which leads to this second idea this morning, that baptism is a big deal. Because it is inseparably tied to faith. Now, if you've ever had any kind of religious conversation with your neighbor or your co-worker, maybe they're part of a, a denominational background, if you're talking with somebody about this subject, then you know there are a lot of people who want to cut those two things apart. 
They want to take faith and they want to take baptism and they want to cut those things apart. They want to say that salvation, salvation is all about faith. And baptism, eh, baptism is something over here. Baptism is something over here that you do, you do later. It's something that you do as an outward sign of the inward grace that you've already received. Baptism is something that you do after you have been saved. Baptism is something that you do in order to gain membership into a specific congregation. Baptism doesn't have anything to do with salvation. All it takes is faith. People are always trying to wedge those two things apart. I want you to listen to me very carefully this morning. Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus taught the opposite of that. Look in Mark 16, please. In Mark the 16th chapter... Jesus says that faith and baptism, they go together. In Mark chapter 16, at the very end of Mark's gospel, in Mark 16 and in verse 16, Jesus says there, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes, and that's just another word for faith, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. That verse can be translated literally, the baptized believer will be saved. Or, the one who believes while being baptized will be saved. Now, I realize that people want baptism to be separated from salvation. They want salvation to be a faith-only occurrence. But biblically... That can never work. Because biblically, faith always acts. It always moves. It always works. It always does something. And Jesus helps us to see that one of the expressions of real faith is by submitting ourselves to the waters of baptism. And yes, I am fully aware that the end of verse 16... Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I know that there are people who are very quick to point out there. Now hold on, Josh. Jesus doesn't say whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. I'm aware of that. I can read that. I read. I see that it doesn't say that there. But you know what? I am also aware that if the local car dealership runs a commercial this afternoon on the radio and it says, He who is present at the dealership Monday morning and brings one dollar, will receive a new Mercedes. I know what I'm going to be doing Monday morning, wouldn't you? And I would also know, if at the end of that commercial, if the voiceover said, and he who is not present Monday morning, will not get a Mercedes. I would still know. I would still know. He doesn't even need to say that stuff about, and if you don't bring a dollar, you're not going to get it. No, I would know. I would know that if I want a Mercedes, I need to do what? I need to be present Monday morning, and I need to bring that dollar. And in much the same way, Jesus says that in order for you to be saved, you need to do what? You need to believe and be baptized. You see, this is about trust. In fact, it's another good synonym for faith and for belief. It's about trust. It's about trusting Jesus as our Savior to do exactly what He has said. Think about it. Why do we repent of our sins? Why do we confess Jesus as God's Son? We do that because Jesus tells us to do it. Why then would we do any different when it comes to baptism? If Jesus commands baptism, 
then doesn't faith demand that we do what Jesus said? Somebody maybe at this point would say, oh, come on now, Josh, hearing all this stuff about doing and about baptism and about actions. Boy, I'll tell you what, that sounds, that sounds like works. Yeah, that sounds like works. And you know, the Bible says we're not saved by works. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. Okay. Can I show you a passage? Would you look in Colossians 2? I think this really helps us here. In Colossians chapter 2, this is one of the most neglected verses about baptism, yet I believe it is one of the most important. In Colossians chapter 2, as Paul compares the sign of the old covenant, what was the sign to show that you were a part of God's chosen people under the old covenant? Well, that sign was, that sign was circumcision, physical circumcision. And he compares that now with the sign of the new covenant. What is it that shows and identifies you as a part of God's people today? Well, Paul says, he says it's baptism. And so in that discussion, he says in Colossians 2 and in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised in Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. People say, oh, baptism is a work. It's a work. It's just a work. You know what? It is a work. It is a work. Verse 12. It is faith in the powerful working of God. That's who's at work in the waters of baptism. That's who's putting off the body of flesh, the body of sin. It's God's work. He's doing the work there. In fact, when you think about baptism, baptism is a very passive thing. It is something you have done to you. You really don't even do anything. You simply make your desires known and someone else baptizes you. God's doing the work there. And so as we have faith in Him, we are baptized. And in so doing, the Lord forgives us of all of our trespasses, making us alive together with Him. Biblically, biblically, faith and baptism go hand in hand. If faith is a big deal, and I tell you, I've never met anybody who would argue with that. If faith is a big deal, then baptism is a big deal. And that is furthered with this third point this morning. Baptism is a big deal because it puts you into Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that, boy, that really seems like a big deal to me. Being in Jesus. Look in Galatians 3 with me, please. In Galatians 3, in one of the clearest statements about baptism in all of the New Testament, Paul writes here in Galatians 3 and in verse 27. Galatians 3 verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I think you need help to miss what that passage is saying. That passage says if you want to be in Jesus, if you want to put on Jesus, what do you need to do? You need to be baptized. In fact, I challenge anybody 
to find any passage in the New Testament that details some other way, some other mechanism to get into Christ that does not include baptism. Good luck with that because you're not going to find it. No such passage exists because the Bible says this is what baptism does. It puts you into Jesus, which means in a very real way, you can say fourthly that baptism saves you. You know, that baptism saves you. Now, I've met people who start to kind of chafe under the collar a little bit whenever they hear us say things like, baptism saves you. But listen, folks, that's not not Church of Christ doctrine. That's not some kind of lingo that a gospel preacher came up with to scare people into being baptized. No, the Bible says that. Did you know that? Look in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter draws some comparisons and some parallels to the flood. You know about the flood. People don't even go to church know about the flood. The flood that happened back in the book of Genesis with Noah and the ark and all of that stuff. And Peter talks about how the flood during that time, Noah and his family, they were saved through water. And so the comparison that he makes then is in verse 21, 1 Peter 3 verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, it's not a bath, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can anyone say or anyone think that baptism isn't really a big deal? When Peter says, baptism now saves you. And the reason that Peter says that is because, fifthly, baptism... Is where your sins are forgiven. It is the place where your sins are remitted. I can show you that. Look in the book of Acts, please. In Acts 22. In Acts chapter 22, this is Paul. And he is retelling the account of his conversion back during the time in his life when he was simply Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And Paul talks about how after being on the road to Damascus and seeing this bright light and hearing the voice of the Lord, he was blinded. And he was fasting for three days in the city of Damascus until a man by the name of Ananias came to him. God had sent Ananias to Paul and he came to give him a message. And that message is this, Acts 22 verse 16. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. What does baptism do? What does baptism do? This isn't hard, this isn't a trick question here. Baptism washes away your sins. It forgives your sins. It cleanses you. We saw that a moment ago in Colossians 2, didn't we? Faith in the working of God to forgive all of our trespasses. In fact, just stay right here in Acts. Look back in chapter 2, please. In Acts chapter 2, this is the very first time that the gospel is preached publicly. And every time that I say something from Acts chapter 2, I usually go out of my way to stress that point, that this is the very first time that the gospel is preached. And the reason that I stress that is because what we see in Acts chapter 2 with this sermon that Peter preaches, and then the fallout, the reaction to that, what happens here in Acts 2 is this becomes the norm. This becomes the template. This becomes the model for how to become a Christian. You want to be saved? You want to have your sins forgiven? Then this right here, this is what you need. Acts chapter 2 sets forth the pattern for all time. Acts 2 verse 38. Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is baptism for? It is for the forgiveness of your sins. If you had been in that audience on the day of Pentecost at that time, and at that very moment when Peter was starting to say, repent and be baptized for the... And all of a sudden you get distracted. Maybe maybe your cell phone goes off. Actually, hold on, that would be weird. It would be weird to have a cell phone back in Bible times. But perhaps maybe somebody coughed. <laughs> or a baby started crying. And so you didn't hear what Peter said there. And so you nudge the guy next to you and you say, hey. Hey, well what did Peter say baptism is for? He said, repent, be baptized for the... Well, what does he say baptism does? What would that person tell you? That person would tell you, oh, Peter said that baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. In fact, I know that people understood that because in verse 41 of that same chapter, the text goes on to say that about 3,000 souls, they received His Word and they were baptized. Those folks, they got it. Those 3,000 people, they saw baptism as a big deal, as a huge deal, because it brought about the forgiveness of their sins. And by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, what that did then is that then made them a new creation. And that makes baptism a pretty big deal, doesn't it? It makes you a new creation. We've seen that already. We saw that in Romans chapter 6, when Paul talked there about rising out of the water to walk in newness of life. Can I add to that what's said in 2 Corinthians 5? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 17. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Paul says there, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, stop right there, How do you get in Christ? Well, we've already established that. Galatians 3.27 We are baptized into Christ. When you are baptized into Christ, if anyone is baptized into Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it is about the new, isn't it? A new life. A new way of looking at sin. A new help to overcome sin. New hopes, new dreams, new goals. A new family. All of that is new whenever you are baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, I need everybody to just look up here. Look at these six things that we have enumerated this morning. This is certainly not an exhaustive list of all that baptism does. But it certainly does begin to frame up for us the richness of why baptism is such a big deal. Think about it. What is more important than the grace and the mercy and the love that was expressed to us in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus? It doesn't get any bigger than that. And what then for us personally is more important than responding to God's gracious gift and doing so in faith? What is more important than being in Christ? What's more important than being saved? What's more important than having your sins forgiven? What's more important than being a new creation? You see, it's not just a bunch of hype whenever we stand up here and we stress the importance of baptism. 
No, when we stress the importance of baptism, we are simply echoing what the Bible says about the crucial and critical role that baptism plays in bringing men and women and young men and young women into a right relationship with God. Which means then, that if you are here this morning, and you have never been baptized into Christ, and you are of an age of accountability, and young people, listen to me here, teenagers especially, don't fool yourself about that age of accountability. You know, you know right now in your heart of hearts, if you are accountable unto God, that if the Lord were to return right now, whether or not you would have to give an answer, for the sins you've committed and the way in which you have lived your life, if you are of an age of accountability and maturity and understanding, and you have not been baptized, then what that means is, and I'm going to say this as lovingly yet as truthfully as I know how, what that means is that means that you are not in Christ. It means that you are not saved. It means that your sins have not been forgiven. It means that you are certainly not a new creation. And I don't say that out of any kind of wrong motivations. I say that purely out of love and out of truth. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, Oh, Josh, but I I have faith. I do believe. Yes, you may have some faith. But it's an incomplete faith. Because it's not an active faith. An active faith will look at these things. An active faith will look at these passages that we have studied this morning and an active faith will say, I need to do something. I cannot just sit here and continue to just nod my head. "Mm -hmm, Okay, yep, that's right. I agree with that. And I give all the right answers in Bible class. No, an active faith will say, I need to do something. I need to die to sin. I need to be buried with Christ. I need to be risen from the water to walk in newness of life. I need to be baptized. And let me tell you this. The time to do that is not later. The time to do that is right now, which is the final reason I'll submit to you as to why baptism is such a big deal. Because in the Bible, when people were baptized... It was always treated with an overwhelming sense of urgency. When people recognize their lost condition, when people recognize that they are separated from God, when people recognize and understood what it is that they needed to do in order to access and receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God, people did not sit around and just wait. People did not put that off. People did not speak about that in terms of one of these days, someday, no. They did like the Philippian jailer did in Acts 16.33, who got himself up in the same hour of the night. And he went and found him a pool of water somewhere, and he and all his family, they were baptized at once. And here's the good news for you this morning. You don't have to go searching You don't have to look very far at all to find your pool of water. It is right there. For many of you, it's just a matter of a few feet away. You can see it from where you're sitting. The water is ready. All things are ready. 
What hinders you from being baptized this same hour of the morning? We are about to stand. And we are about to sing the song of invitation. Derek has selected the song, Prepare to Meet Thy God. What an appropriate song to sing. What better way to prepare to meet your God this morning than by being baptized. And when we sing this song, it will be a decisive moment for you if you have never been baptized before. Because in the couple of minutes that this song is going to go, you will make one of two decisions. You will either decide to stay right where you are, right there behind the safety and the comforts of your pew where you have been for so long, and you will still be lost. and You will still be stained with sin. And so you will still be destined for an eternity separated and apart from God. Or, or you will make another decision. You will decide, secondly, that baptism, you know what? It is a big deal. And you will then muster up the courage to make your way from outside of that pew that all too often we're just clutching to with our fingernails. And you will make your way down to the front so that you can be baptized at once. Will you come? Let's find out while we stand and while we sing.